0: What's going on football md fam welcome back to episode 25 of the football md podcast quick thank you to everyone that has been listening in i cannot believe that we're already at episode 25 all of your support has been truly amazing so again thank you guys so much i really could not be more appreciative as always you guys know where to find us on social media at football md pod on instagram twitter and facebook and if you haven't already done so make sure you're checking out footballmdpodcast.com, our writing staff has really been doing an amazing job all season covering the NFL, NCAA, sports betting, and more. But let's get right into it, the reason that you guys are all here, our Week 10 preview. And we're going to start with the Washington Redskins heading to Tampa Bay to play the Buccaneers in a game with a 51 and a half point over-under. On the Redskins side of the ball, I know that a lot of people are seeing the matchup against the Buccaneers and thinking that quarterback Alex Smith should be a solid streaming option in this matchup. And when you look at the numbers, that really does make sense. No quarterback has scored less than 18 fantasy points against the Buccaneers this year, but I still do have some hesitation starting Alex Smith this week. He still has yet to score more than 16.8 fantasy points in any of his last seven games. He has a lack of reliable pass catchers, and now they've lost two more offensive linemen, and one of their wide receivers, Paul Richardson, was moved to IR. So really outside of two quarterback or deeper leagues, this is not a matchup at the quarterback position that I'm targeting this week. In the run game, the Buccaneers defense has struggled since losing Linebacker Quan Alexander allowing 333 yards and six touchdowns over their last three games to running backs. So, Adrian Peterson, he should be slid right back into that high end running back two territory. And with Chris Thompson ruled out with his rib injury, Capri Bibbs, he's now scored in each of his last two games, but that was on just 10 touches. So, I do think he can be spot started as a desperation play, but not someone that you should have a ton of confidence in. You likely do have some better options on your team. And for the Redskins wide receivers, as I mentioned, Paul Richardson, he's now on IR. So Josh Doxson and Maurice Harris are both on the low end streaming radar this week, as this is expected to be a fairly high scoring game. And Jamison Crowder, he's still dealing with injuries. So I'm avoiding him even if he does get back onto the field this week. And then for the Redskins tight end position, Jordan Reed, he's been dealing with neck and back issues, but the Buccaneers have allowed six tight ends to score 15 or more PPR points against them this season. So if Reed plays, you're obviously going to have some hesitation starting him with the injuries that he's been dealing with. But if Jordan Reed sits out this week and Vernon Davis is named the starter, I think that he should be locked into a ton of lineups this week with confidence. On the other side of the ball for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's right back in that low-end quarterback one territory. Over the last five games, the Washington Redskins have allowed a 67.8% completion percentage, 1,842 yards, and 13 passing touchdowns. And of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick has no shortage of weapons in the passing game, so I'm expecting him to have another solid day here. In the run game, I know that we saw the Redskins defense look very beatable against the Atlanta Falcons last week, but that was an outlier performance compared to how well they've played for the rest of the season. So Peyton Barber, I'm continuing to avoid him. He has 33 rushing yards or less in five of his last seven games and just eight receptions on the season. So I definitely don't see a clear out to production in this matchup for him. And for the Buccaneers, Mike Evans, he's seen nine or more targets in six of his last seven games. So I know he was very disappointing last week, but you should be going right back to him in this matchup. Then you have Deshaun Jackson. He's still just a boom or bust option, although the Redskins have been somewhat susceptible to big plays this season. So if you need a spot start, an upside play, completely fine with sliding Deshaun Jackson into your lineup. Chris Godwin, he's now seen his snaps go up and down every week. He just doesn't seem to have a guaranteed role in this offense. He's slightly touchdown dependent. I'd be avoiding if possible. And then you have Adam Humphrey who's been playing well he's been seeing a ton of targets catching a ton of targets but he'll now see Fabian Moreau in the slot this week who has really just been playing great football so really the only guys that I'm interested in starting in this wide receiver core is Mike Evans who's locked in and Deshaun Jackson if you're looking for some upside moving right along to our next game of the week the Arizona Cardinals playing the Kansas City Chiefs with an over-under of 50 points on the Cardinal side of the ball, Larry Fitzgerald, he's definitely been trending in the right direction with 28 targets over the last three games and 12 targets in week eight right before their bye. But the Chiefs secondary continues to play better than expected, especially at home. And Fitzgerald should see a ton of Kendall Fuller this week, who's now held Jarvis Landry to six receptions for 50 yards, Emmanuel Sanders to four receptions for 57 yards, and Tyler Boyd for three receptions for just 27 yards over the last three weeks. So while Fitz's increased volume does keep him on that wide receiver three radar, this matchup definitely is not as favorite favorable as you might think. Then you have Christian Kirk, who I think can be started if you're in a tight spot. He now has two touchdowns over the last four weeks, but the Chiefs have allowed the fewest fantasy points per target this season. So I'm not expecting more than wide receiver four numbers for Kirk, of course, unless he manages to find the end zone. Then at the tight end position, you have Ricky Seals-Jones, RSJ. He's now run 78 routes to 33 for Jermaine Gresham over the last three weeks. And while he hasn't been too productive, the Kansas City Chiefs allow the second most yardage to the tight end position. So I think RSJ is a solid tight end streamer option this week and on the Chiefs side of the ball you guys already know who you're starting but Sammy Watkins he did have to get an MRI on his foot this week we know that he's had foot issues in the past so I really wouldn't be relying on him even if he does play this week he's currently questionable but I know that a lot of you guys are in deep leagues and maybe in a situation where you have to start Sammy Watkins so make sure you're checking that on Sunday morning to see if he's going to be going or not and now for our next game of the week we have the Buffalo Bills heading to New York to play the Jets in a game with a 37 point over under On the Bills side of the ball, there's not much to talk about here. I know on Wednesday's episode, I said that LaShawn McCoy is worth dropping, but if you didn't take that advice and you're still holding on to him and you're in a tight spot, I do think that he provides a fairly safe floor in this matchup. Before the Jets shut down the Dolphins' run game last week, they have allowed 422 yards and three touchdowns in the three weeks prior, and he should see at least 15 carries around five targets. So just for the opportunity that he will be seeing, I think McCoy can be started as a flex option this week. And if you were relying on their tight end, Charles Clay, he's ruled out. So make sure you're looking for another option there. On the Jets side of the ball, we have quarterback Josh McCown stepping in for rookie Sam Darnold, who's currently dealing with a foot injury, and he really can't make the offense any less productive, but I'm still not starting him in this matchup. Andrew Luck is the only quarterback on the season to score more than 17 fantasy points against the Bills defense, so no interest in McCown here. And as far as the Jets run game, Isaiah Crowell and Elijah McGuire, ever since Crowell's huge week 5 game against the Denver Broncos, he's totaled just 143 yards and no touchdowns on 50 carries. That's 2.86 yards per carry. Then you have McGuire, who Immediately outsnapped Crowell 36 to 23 in his first game back. I'm really not excited about either of these guys, but the Bills defense has allowed four rushing touchdowns over the last three weeks. So if I had to pick one, I would lean Crowell here and just hoping that he finds the end zone. In the passing game, Robbie Anderson, he's currently doubtful for Sunday, and even if he does play, he'll be matched up with Tredavious White, so you're avoiding him there. And I know that Quincy Inunua missed Week 7 and 8, but he still hasn't topped three receptions or 40 yards since Week 4, and now they have him, who's typically a slot receiver, playing on the perimeter, so I'm steering clear of him for now. And for the Jets' tight end, Chris Herndon, we said it last episode, he's now totaled 62 or more yards Or a touchdown in each of his last four games but the targets are still inconsistent he's seen two targets seven targets two targets and four targets during that same four game span and the Buffalo Bills have been super tough against tight ends this year so he falls into that category of tight ends that you're just relying on a touchdown for and for our next game of the week we have the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the Indianapolis Colts in a game with a 47 point over under on the Jaguars side of the ball for quarterback Blake Bortles the Indianapolis Colts have allowed 243 or more yards to seven of eight quarterbacks that they've played this season Derek Anderson was that one exception and they've allowed five quarterbacks to throw for two or more passing touchdowns so Bortles I know he hasn't been playing great but he's still on that quarterback two streaming radar this week and for the run game I know this is what everyone really wants to talk about with the Jaguars the return of Leonard Fournette And I'm not expecting him to be eased back in. They played it safe. They held him out for five weeks. He seems to be a full go in this matchup. And we saw Dalvin Cook's return last week. He looked solid. And Fournette doesn't have a Latavius Murray stealing goal line work. So I'm sliding Fournette right back into my lineups. And I know that the Colts still have yet to allow a 100-yard rusher on the season. So while this isn't a great matchup, I think Fournette will have no problem posting high-end, running back two numbers here. And I do still think that TJ Yeldon could be used in PPR leagues if you're in a pinch. The Colts haven't allowed much yardage through the air to running backs, but they have allowed a 76.9 completion percentage. So you could see Yeldon providing a fairly safe baseline here. And as for Carlos Hyde, he's really just a handcuff at this point that I do think is worth owning. In the Jacksonville passing game, the only wide receiver that I'm somewhat interested in starting this week is Dante Moncrief. He's actually received 34 targets over the last four weeks, and now has four or more catches and 54 yards in four of his last five games. So he does provide a somewhat decent floor, although you're really still just relying on a touchdown to. Feel or Good about sliding him into your lineup. Then on the Colts side of the ball, Andrew Luck, I know it's not a plus matchup, but he has 18 passing touchdowns over his last five games with three or more touchdowns in each of those games. And a lot of that can be attributed to his offensive line. He hasn't been sacked since week five, knock on wood, but I've been saying it. Andrew Luck is playing in that quarterback tier that you can start every week regardless of matchup. For the Colts run game, Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines, I know that the Jaguars defense has struggled, but their run defense has been solid. The Jaguars have held opposing running backs under four yards per carry and have allowed just five total touchdowns to the position all year. So unless the Colts run away with this game, Marlon Mack should be a mid-tier running back two that I really don't feel overly confident with. And Naeem Hines could be a sneaky running back three play in PPR formats with Jalen Ramsey covering T.Y. Hilton and the Jags being really tough against tight ends. So Andrew Luck may have to rely on him a little more in the short passing game. And as for the aforementioned T.Y. Hilton, I know it's hard to sit him with the way that Andrew Luck has been playing, but he now has just five receptions for 59 yards since his return, which was overshadowed by his two touchdowns against the Bills. But when you combine that with seeing Jalen Ramsey this week, I'd avoid if possible. And then for the tight ends, Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, the Jaguars are allowing just 41.6 yards per game and have allowed three touchdowns to the tight end position all season long. This is despite playing Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey, Evan Ingram, and Rob Gronkowski. So while Doyle still can be started just for how volatile the tight end position is and for the targets that he should see, it's not a matchup that I'm confident in. And for Eric Ebron, he's really just relying on finding the end zone. And now we'll hop right over to the Detroit Lions heading into Chicago to play the Bears in a game with a 45-point over-under. On the Lions side of the ball, Matthew Stafford obviously being sacked 10 times last week and now going up against a Bears defense that should have Khalil Mack back in the lineup is far from ideal. But I'm not expecting the Lions to be able to run the ball very well in this matchup. So I'm expecting Stafford to have to throw a ton. And we have seen the Bears show some vulnerability in the passing game. So while you may not feel great about it, I think Stafford should be able to produce solid quarterback two numbers this week. And for that Lions run game, the Chicago Bears have allowed just three top 24 running back performances this season. They still haven't allowed a rushing touchdown to the running back position. Bill's quarterback, Nathan Peterman, is actually has the only rushing touchdown against the Bears this season. And only one running back has rushed for more than 57 yards against Chicago this season. So definitely some concerns over carry-on Johnson this week, but the Bears have allowed three receiving touchdowns to running backs. So Johnson's five targets last week does provide some optimism, but I'm not expecting more than running back three numbers here. And Theo Riddick, he can be slid into lineups as an RB3 in PPR formats. Then in the passing game, we have Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Again, the Bears have yet to allow a wide receiver to finish better than 21st at the position this season, but they have allowed 12 wide receivers to finish with five or more receptions and a fairly high yards per reception average. Now, while Kenny Galladay's six receptions for 95 yards and zero touchdowns over the last three weeks is definitely concerning, I do think that he will provide a fairly safe floor here as a low-end wide receiver two or high-end wide receiver three. And meanwhile, Marvin Jones, he now has 13 receptions for 183 yards and two touchdowns over the last two weeks. So knowing that the Bears have yet to allow a rushing touchdown to running backs, I'm definitely expecting Jones to see a lot of targets in the red zone, making him a solid wide receiver two with touchdown upside. On the bare side of the ball, Mitch Trubisky, I know he was disappointing last week, but he really didn't have to do much against the Buffalo Bills, while the Lions, they have been allowing two or more passing touchdowns in six of their eight games played this season. And I'm also expecting Trubisky's rushing ability to continue to provide him with a solid baseline, putting him right back in the lower and quarterback one tier this week. And for their run game, the Detroit Lions have a bottom five run defense in the NFL. Even with Damon Harrison in the lineup, they've allowed 258 yards and two touchdowns on the ground over the last two weeks. So this definitely isn't the worst matchup here for Jordan Howard. He should be able to put up running back two numbers in what I'm thinking will be a fairly close game. And for Tariq Cohen, I know his production has been down, but that's been mainly due to game script. He's still been on the field for over 50% of snaps over the last three weeks. So I expect him to get right back into that running back two territory. And in the passing game, Allen Robinson, he may finally be returning, but I wouldn't expect much more than low-end wide receiver three production in his first game back from a multi-week injury, especially playing against Darius Slay. And Taylor Gabriel, he's dealing with a knee injury, so make sure you're keeping an eye on his status. He's a solid wide receiver four on most weeks, but he does get consistently targeted, so the opportunity for him to make a big play is always there and Anthony Miller, he continues to be a sneaky wide receiver option for the third week in a row now. The Lions are definitely exploitable in the slot, and Miller has had six targets in his last three games and has three touchdowns on his last 32 targets. So if you're looking for a spot start there, Anthony Miller could be your guy. And of course, Trey Burton at the tight end position, he's just about as solid as you're going to get at tight end. And now we'll hop right into the New Orleans Saints playing the Cincinnati Bengals in a game with a 54 point over under. The big news out of New Orleans from this week is that Des Bryant, who was just picked up by the Saints, helped off the field yesterday with what looks like a torn Achilles. This is just a really unfortunate situation. Definitely not something that you like to see. So, our best wishes out to Des for a speedy recovery. But for the Saints players that will be on the field this week, the Bengals are currently allowing the fourth most points per game to quarterbacks, eighth most points per game to running backs, sixth most points per game to wide receivers, and third most points per game two tight ends so start your Saints although I would expect them to go a little bit run heavy here on the road which could favor Mark Ingram of course on the Bengals side of the ball for quarterback Andy Dalton the Saints have allowed 344 passing yards per game since their week six bye However, I still have a hard time trusting Dalton as anything more than a quarterback two streamer this week without his top option in A.J. Green. And for Joe Mixon in the Cincinnati run game, the Saints run defense has actually been lights out, allowing just 421 rushing yards on the season. And the Bengals haven't really been utilizing Mixon in the passing game as he's now failed the top 22 receiving yards since week one. So I'm hoping in the absence of A.J. Green, that'll get him more involved, a few more targets going his way, and I'd still be starting him as a mid-tier running back two this week week, but if those targets don't come, Joe Mixon could be someone that disappoints you in your lineups this week. And for the passing game, I'm really not expecting much of a change here without AJ Green in the lineup as Tyler Boyd, he's a slot receiver and Green lines up on the perimeter. What this really does for me is just solidify. Tyler Boyd is a rock-solid high-end wide receiver too this week for the targets that he will be seeing. And then you have wide receiver John Ross, who he's still just a boomer bust option, even with A.J. Green out of the lineup, especially as I'm expecting him to see a lot of Marshawn Lattimore this week. So you're just hoping for a touchdown here. He's not someone that I'll be sliding into my lineups, but if you're going to do it, just cross your fingers and hope for that big play. And then the tight end CJ Uzoma, the Saints are extremely tough against tight ends with no top 12 finishes allowed to the position this season. You probably have better streamers available, just steer clear this week. And now we'll move over to the New England Patriots heading to Tennessee to play the Titans in a game with a 48 point over under. On the Patriots side of the ball for the run game, the Titans defense has yet to allow more than 85 rushing yards or 51 receiving yards to a running back this season. They've also allowed just two rushing touchdowns and zero receiving touchdowns. So I know that Sony Michelle is returning this week, but I really don't know how you could expect much more than a running back three performance in this matchup. And honestly, I know those numbers don't look great, but James White is just unbenchable at this point. So you're going to keep on rolling with him. Then in the passing game, Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon. Edelman, he's locked into that mid wide receiver two territory every week with the amount of targets that he sees. And Josh Gordon, he's a must start wide receiver two this week with the upside that he has matched up with. Malcolm Butler, who is allowed a league high seven touchdowns in his coverage this season. Then you have tight end Rob Gronkowski, who the Patriots have a bye in week 11. Gronk's been dealing with injuries, so it's likely that he doesn't suit up for this matchup. So make sure that you have a backup plan if you are planning on rolling with him. And even if he does play, the Titans have been brutal against tight ends and gronk has not been playing up to his standards from previous seasons so it's likely that you already have another option on the roster i would have no problem rolling with someone else this week now moving over to the titan side of the ball quarterback marcus Mariota. he's played better in his last two games and he's still fine if you need a bi-week fill-in but i'm not expecting anything more than quarterback two numbers here For the run game, Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. Lewis is now the clear-cut guy, in my opinion, in this backfield, playing 84% of snaps last week compared to Henry's 20%. Lewis can be started as a mid to low end running back too, as the Patriots have been pretty hit or miss against the run but they have allowed the second most receiving yards to running backs on the season. And for Derrick Henry, he's currently just not startable, in my opinion. Then in the passing game for wide receiver Corey Davis, the tough matchups continue with Stephon Gilmore this week, who has been as good as any quarterback in the NFL over the last few weeks, honestly. So I'm not expecting anything more than low-end wide receiver three numbers from Davis this week. Now for our next game of the week, we have the Atlanta Falcons heading to Cleveland to play the Browns in a game with a 50.5 points over-under. In the run game, Tevin Coleman and Ito Smith, the Browns have allowed 513 yards on 95 carries and eight rushing touchdowns over their last four games. The Browns have exploited on the ground and through the air by running backs as of late, so lock Coleman in as a running back one and Smith as a low-end running back three who has definite touchdown upside in this matchup. For the Falcons passing game, Calvin Ridley and Mohamed Sanu, the Browns have definitely been susceptible to the deep ball and will likely be without their top two cornerbacks in Denzel Ward and EJ Gaines in this matchup. However, the Falcons could get ahead early here and start to rely on the run a little bit more, but I still think that Calvin Ridley will see plenty of opportunity to make him a viable start. And especially with Sanu dealing with a hip injury, he's a player that I would steer clear from this week, but that should lead to some extra opportunity for really, to be productive. And then you have tight end Austin Hooper, who I'm not going to overanalyze. He just falls into that tier where you're really hoping for a touchdown. But of course, on such a high-powered offense, he's always worth a spot in your lineup. Then on the brown side of the ball, Baker Mayfield, he's one of my favorite streaming options this week. Alex Smith is the only quarterback to not score at least 20 points against the Falcons this season. They've been a solid matchup for quarterbacks all year, allowing an average of 304.2 passing yards per game. So you don't need to overanalyze it. Baker Mayfield, he's in that borderline quarterback one territory this week. In the Browns' run game, Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. Chubb, he could be hurt by game script in this one as I'm expecting the Browns to have to throw the ball a ton to keep up with that high-powered Falcons offense, but I'm still confident in starting him as a mid-to-low-end running back two, while the Falcons have allowed 8.5 receptions per game to running backs, making Duke Johnson a safe running back three flex option for me this week. Then in the passing game, Jarvis Landry. I know that the production hasn't been very exciting, but this is a great matchup as the targets should continue to be there. Lock Jarvis Landry in as a high-end wide receiver too this week. And then tight end David Njoku. There's not many tight ends that are consistently getting targeted five or more times in a game. And like I said, the game scripts should be favorable in this one. So continue rolling with Njoku as a tight end one this week. And now I'll hop right into the LA Chargers playing the Oakland Raiders in a game with a 50.5 point over-under. On the Chargers side of the ball, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler of, of course you're starting Gordon but the Chargers should be able to gain control of this game early which could open the door for Eckler to see an increased role. I really don't have any issues starting him as a lower end running back three flex option this week. In the passing game for Tyrell Williams and Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams still has yet to receive more than five targets, but definitely has the opportunity to exploit a weak Raider secondary, and Mike Williams has just one reception in four of his last five games, so he's just a touchdown-dependent option right now. Tyrell Williams is the way that you want to go outside of Keenan Allen in this passing game. And then on the Raiders' side of the ball, on the ground, you have Doug Martin and Jalen Richard. It's really hard to see Martin getting significant carries in this game where they should be playing from behind, making him a low upside running back three. Well, I think Jalen Rashard, he should continue to be involved in the passing game, making him a safe floor running back three, but not overly excited about either of these guys here. For the Raiders passing game, Jordy Nelson, he's now caught five of 10 targets for 36 yards and zero touchdowns over his last three games without Cooper in the lineup. And this is including the game where Cooper left early in the first quarter, and he'll now see a ton of Casey Hayward this week, so you're just avoiding that matchup for Jordy Nelson. And then Jared Cook, he hasn't seen more than six targets since week four and has 31 yards or less in four of his last six games. He's still a decent tight end too. I think he provides some upside, but I don't have much confidence in this offense at all going forward. And now for our next game of the week, the Seattle Seahawks playing the LA Rams in a game with a 51 point over under. On the Seahawks side of the ball for Russell Wilson, you're you're probably starting him, but I'm continuing to temper expectations. Wilson historically doesn't play well against the Rams or really in divisional games in general. So I have him as a high-end quarterback two this week. In the run game, if Chris Carson misses, Mike Davis should see the vast majority of touches, but the Rams still have yet to allow a top 12 running back this season, making it hard to expect anything more than mid to low end running back two numbers from this backfield this week, regardless of who the starter is. And then in the passing game, if you've been watching Doug Baldwin, you know that he hasn't been super productive. And he should see Nickel Roby Coleman in the slot this week, which is definitely not ideal. So I'm putting him in that lower end wide receiver three range that I don't think he really needs to be started. You may have an option with some more upside on your bench that you may want to slide into your lineup. And for the other pass catching options, you have Tyler Lockett and David Moore. Both are just boom or bust options at this point course if they get the touchdown you're going to be happy if not they're going to put up a dud game i am expecting wilson to have to throw the ball a lot here and like i said doug baldwin has a very tough matchup so it's likely one of them finds the end zone but Lockett and David Moore, you know, roll the dice if you want. And then on the Rams side of the ball, you're starting the same guys that you've been starting week in and week out. What I will say for Jared Goff is the Seahawks still have yet to allow a top 12 quarterback performance on the season, but I'm still projecting Goff as a lower end quarterback one this week. That offense has just been way too impressive this year. So I definitely want a piece of that offense in my fantasy lineup. And now we'll move right into the Miami Dolphins playing the Green Bay Packers in a game of a 47 and a half point over under on the Dolphins side of the ball, knowing how the game script should pan out I know it's tough to sit Kenyon Drake as the Dolphins should be playing from behind and they're gonna have to throw the ball but I still wouldn't expect more than mid running back two numbers here as Kenyon Drake has just been super inconsistent you don't know the type of opportunity that he's going to get and Frank Gore he continues to just be a low upside running back for as he continues to get the carries but like I said game script should be in favor of the passing game so I would avoid this backfield in general if I could but there's clearly some upside there for Kenyon Drake. In the Dolphins passing game, Devontae Parker, Danny Amendola, Kenny Stills, none of these guys are ideal starts, but really any wide receivers outside of the top 20 or so come with a pretty unpredictable floor. But I would expect Devontae Parker to see a decent amount of targets this week, and at least we've seen the upside of a 134 yard game from him earlier in the season. Then you have Danny Amendola, who I think provides the safest floor of these three, seeing 31 targets over his last four games and posting five or more receptions and at least 43 yards in each of those four games. So at least you kind of know what you're getting with him. And then you have Kenny Stills. He just remains that Hail Mary play where you're kind of closing your eyes, crossing your fingers, sliding him into your lineup and hoping for the best. So if he does get downfield and make a big play, you'll be happy. If not, he might get you zero points. Then on the Packers side of the ball for the run game, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. The Dolphins have allowed 824 yards and five touchdowns on the ground to running backs over the last six weeks. Isaiah Crowell last week was actually the first running back to not score more than 15 PPR points against the Dolphins. So I'm locking Aaron Jones in as a high-end running back too, and I think there will be enough opportunity to go around with how this Dolphins run defense has been performing this season to make Jamal Williams at least a decent running back three play, if you're in a tight spot you can slide him into your flex there. Then in the passing game, Marquez Valdez-Scantling with Geronimo Allison done for the season. MVS is a borderline wide receiver two every week, having racked up a hundred or more yards or a touchdown in each of his last four games. He should see a lot of Dolphins cornerback Torrey McTire this week, who has allowed an 83% catch rate on the season. So you should feel very comfortable locking him into your lineups as a high end wide receiver three. And and I honestly think I'm hedging a bit there. I think he has upside for way more than that. And now we'll hop right into our Sunday night game, the Dallas Cowboys playing the Phil Philadelphia Eagles in an NFC East matchup with an over-under of 43 points. On the Cowboys' side of the ball, this is definitely not an ideal matchup for quarterback Dak Prescott, as the Eagles should be able to apply a ton of pressure and take advantage of the Cowboys' struggling offensive line. However, the Eagles do have some injuries in their secondary, but I wouldn't trust Dak Prescott as more than a mid-tier quarterback two this week. In the Cowboys' passing game for Amari Cooper, I know that he's still new to the team, but I'm confident in him as a lower-end wide receiver two this week, as the Philadelphia Eagles have allowed seven top 15 wide receiver performances this season and that was before the recent injuries to their cornerback Sidney Jones and Jalen Mills. So I think Cooper can be started with some confidence in your lineups this week. And really outside of Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott, I'm avoiding the rest of this offense in this matchup. So I'll move right over to the Eagles side of the ball and quarterback Carson Wentz has been playing as good as it gets. He now has at least 278 yards and two touchdowns in each of his last five games. Keep firing him up regardless of the matchup. For the Eagles run game, I'm completely avoiding this backfield. But if I did have to rank them, I would put Wendell Smallwood as a low end running back three who has an extremely low floor. Josh Adams is nothing more than a touchdown dependent option at the position and Corey Clement as an extremely. Inconsistent running back fours. So avoid if possible. If you had to start one, I would go with Smallwood. But we'll move right into the Eagles passing game with Alshon Jeffrey, and this is going to be our first look at Golden Tate in an Eagles uniform, and the Cowboys have been pretty tough against wide receivers, allowing just four top 36 performances to the position this season. I do think that the arrival of Tate should open things up for Jeffrey on the perimeter, but there's definitely some concern over how the targets will be distributed. Of course, tight end Zach Ertz, he soaks up a ton of targets himself, but the Eagles didn't trade for Golden Tate to not use him. And I think Golden Tate does have a pretty favorable matchup in the slot this week, but this is still his first game with the new teams. So while he may surprise us this week, I wouldn't expect more than wide receiver three type production as of right now, especially in a game with such a low over under. And now for our final game of the week, Monday night, the New York Giants playing the San Francisco 49ers in a game with a 43 point over under. On the Giants side of the ball, Eli Manning, I honestly could see him finishing as a solid quarterback too this week, as the 49ers have allowed at least two passing touchdowns in every game this season. Of course, you're not going to be too excited about starting Eli, but if you are in a deeper league and a tight spot... Uh, You could slide him into your lineup, and I think he'll put up a pretty good performance for you this week. Then in the passing game, Sterling Shepard, he's now had 40 yards or less in two of his last three games, but the 49ers have been exploited by slot receivers as of late. So I do think Shepard will see enough targets to warrant at least wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver three type production. And tight end Evan Ingram has definitely been disappointing this season. He's totaled more than 25 yards just once in his five games played this season. So while I do think that you could do worse at the position this week, you're really just hoping that he finds the end zone with the 49ers defense focusing on the Giants wide receivers rather than him. But outside of Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley, there's not really much to get excited about over this offense, so we move right over to the 49 ers side of the ball, and it's more of the same over here. Nick Mullins, we said it on Wednesday, we just aren't buying into one game of production where he exploited a Raiders defense that simply didn't show up. If Again, if you're in a two-quarterback league or you're in a really, really tight spot, I guess you could start Nick Mullins, but definitely not feeling great about that one. And then in the run game for the 49ers, Matt Breda, he will have had 11 days to rest up for this game, and the Giants have allowed the sixth most total touchdowns to running backs on the season. And of course, they no longer have Damon Harrison's. So a decent matchup here for Breda, although it is hard to have a ton of confidence with this backfield, but I still think that he should be started with low end running back two expectations. And for Alfred Morris, he has been getting carries in the red zone, but he's nothing more than a touchdown dependent option at this point. And for the pass catchers, Marquis Goodwin, you're really just hoping for that touchdown or he's going to disappoint. And then the only other option on this offense, there's really no considering to be done here. It's George Kittle. You already know you're locking him in week in and week out as a top tier tight end. He's matchup proof. He's quarterback proof. No worries there. Keep rolling with him going forward. But that is all that I have for you guys this week. I hope that I was able to help you with some of your lineup dilemmas. If you have any further questions, any situations that you would like us to go into further detail with, make sure you're reaching out to us at Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or hitting us up at FootballMDPodcast.com. While you're checking out all of the awesome work that our writers have been doing over there, you can head over to the contact us section and send us an email directly. We love hearing from you guys. We love answering your questions and we love that you guys have continued to tune in week in and week out taking our fantasy advice. It really does mean the world to us. So from myself and the entire football MD team, thank you guys so much and good luck this week.